Hello, welcome to GunfighterCast, episode number 128. I'm your host, Daniel Shaw. This will be our third and final part of our series that I've recorded with Andy Brown and talking about his book, Warnings Unheeded, and the events that took place on June 20th, 1994 at Fairchild Air Force Base. In this episode, we're going to talk about the aftermath of the event and a little bit of recovery. We're going to particularly focus on the psychological effects of violence. I'm going to begin this episode reading a few pieces of the book. It's not in any particular order, but it's from trauma and recovery toward the end of the book. Hopefully, it'll give you a little bit more insight on some of the things that Andy and I discuss in this episode. Thanks for listening, and here it is. Primary Weapon Systems, or PWS, is a state-of-the-art machine shop in Boise, Idaho. PWS makes almost all their rifle components in-house, and the parts they don't make, they acquire from the highest quality manufacturers in the United States. The Mod 2 Series rifles from PWS are some of the most feature-rich ARs on the market. One of those features is the Mod 2 Enhanced Buffer Tube, which has a ratchet lock design that eliminates the need for staking while providing a solid lockup with the ability to remove it easily in the future. Go take a look at primaryweapons.com. Primary Weapon Systems. Because it's time. Pending completion of the sheriff's investigation, I was relieved of patrolman duty and worked in an unarmed position watching over the prisoners in our confinement section. I worked alone and missed the camaraderie I had with my flight. Most of the other cops in the squadron seemed apprehensive to approach me, let alone talk to me. One day before my shift, I walked into the guard mount room to say hello to my flight. A group of airmen were in the corner talking and laughing. When they saw me, they went silent. I prodded them until one of them sheepishly admitted what they were laughing about. There's a newspaper at the front gate, with a photo of Melberg on the front page, and someone drew a bullet hole in his head. I said, did they put a hole in his shoulder too? No. Oh yeah? Well, I did. I used humor as a coping mechanism, hoping it would let others know I was comfortable talking about the incident. Not long after the shooting, an issue of Airman Magazine came out with an article about the incident and a photo of me on the back cover. My co-workers asked me to autograph copies for them. I didn't know why they wanted my autograph, but I didn't refuse. Borrowing from an Air Force recruiting slogan, I signed the magazines and wrote, Aim high. I did. I felt the need to talk, but when the incident came up in conversation, it was only briefly discussed before someone changed the subject. I got the impression that people were uncomfortable hearing me talk about the incident. I eventually stopped talking about it, but I still couldn't stop thinking about it. Part of me was proud of my actions, but I also second-guessed myself. I regretted the fact that I had given the gunman verbal warnings before returning fire. I also questioned my response time. During the initial response, my mind's perception of time was altered and it seemed like an eternity passed before I got on scene and stopped the killing. I ran the scenario through my mind, wondering if I could have somehow gotten there quicker and saved more lives. For several months, the incident was heavily covered by the Spokesman Review. The newspaper was my sole source of information regarding victims and the status of the investigation. I hadn't known any of the people who were wounded or killed, but the more I learned about them, the more I grieved. I read that Kristen McCarran had been a giggling eight-year-old whose mother described as a very, very sweet person who always thought of others' feelings. Kristen's death hit me the hardest. When I read that Kristen had been in the cafeteria when she was shot, I realized it was her blood on the shoes that lay in the corner of my room. I hadn't worn them since the night of the incident, but I couldn't bring myself to throw them away. Several days later, I could no longer live with a painful reminder. I came home from work and retrieved a shoebox from my wall locker. My chest tightened as I picked up the shoes. A lump swelled in my throat as I placed them in the box and carried them to the parking lot. Tears squeezed through my eyes as I shut out the vision of a scared little girl and my inability to save her. 
I laid the shoes to rest in the dormitory dumpster, feeling an irreverent guilt like I was throwing away the memory of a little girl. But I will always remember Kristen Frances McCarran, a precious eight-year-old girl. It had been nearly a year since the shooting, but the passage of time had done little to lessen my symptoms. The anxiety, irritability, and intrusive thoughts persisted. I was also depressed and withdrawn, spending much of any off-duty time alone in my room. I desperately searched the newly emerging internet trying to find out what was wrong with me. I read about post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, for the first time. I would later learn the condition known today as PTSD is not a new phenomenon. It is referenced in the writings of the ancient Greeks and is evident in the post-war traditions of Native Americans. It has been present in all of America's wars, known by different names. In the U.S. Civil War, it was referred to as a soldier's heart. In the First World War, it was shell shock. The Second World War, it was called battle fatigue. Veterans of the Vietnam War were the first to be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. It is not limited to veterans, although it's commonly associated with combat. It can result from experiencing any event that threatens death or serious bodily injury. PTSD can change the way you view the world. Symptoms can include nightmares, flashbacks, and intrusive thoughts or memories of the traumatic event. One factor of PTSD involves traumatic memories that are filed away in the subconscious. Everyone has conscious memories of minor traumas they have experienced. When you touch a hot stove or are bitten by a dog, your mind takes note and reminds you to be cautious around hot stoves and aggressive dogs. If the trauma is life-threatening, even the smallest detail related to the event can be stored in your subconscious and create psychological distress without apparent cause. A normally innocuous sight, sound, or smell, if associated with a trauma, can trigger the mind to enter survival mode and release stress hormones. Being in a crowd Hearing a balloon pop, a car backfire, or a baby cry, being in a hospital, or smelling fresh-cut grass on a summer day can trigger a fight-or-flight stress response. The increased level of stress hormones causes anxiety, irritability, insomnia, hypervigilance, exaggerated startle response, and more. So getting into a little bit of the, uh, the aftermath of, uh, of, of after the things happen uh, and everything else, um, I want to talk real quick about what the media was reporting and, uh, and, and how it was, we, we've covered it a little bit, but I, I want to go a little bit more detail about it. Uh, one of the things that I said earlier was, um, I, I think you quoted the media in, in a line in the book that says, um, the one afternoon where a choir boy, because Melberg, the only activity he did in school was choir, uh, turned into a madman for a moment uh, or something to that effect and it's uh, which was totally totally untrue uh, wasn't the case um, the the media continued to report that no one ever suspected him of hurting people which is completely the opposite of what everybody who was in contact with him suspected right exactly yeah, they interviewed people who had brief interactions with him the week prior to the shooting, which would have been like the woman he rented a motel from or the woman who cleaned his motel room. I mean, she maybe saw him for 10 seconds and the media interviews them and, and says, is there anything that would have made you think he could do this? And they say no. So now all of a sudden, nobody could have predicted this random act of violence and nothing could have been done to prevent it. 
and they say that every time, and it's BS, man. Yeah, it is absolutely. If they dig a little deeper, they'll they'll see that people were raising the flag, and there were warning signs everywhere, and you just need to learn how to recognize them, and then learn what to do when you see them. There, there was one. The newspaper in Spokane. There were several reporters there that that did dig deep into the the incidents, and they were a little bit more uh, factual and and gave a lot more of the background to the story, which was good. But that's one reason why I don't listen to the media or read the headlines. I just read the headlines, and I wait a couple of weeks before I start researching an incident because nobody knows what's going on in the first week or two. I wait for the somebody to dig deeper into it and give me the the facts, not speculation. Yep. If I want to really learn from an incident, I I wait for, till more details come out. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, Andy's going to answer a question. Uh, don't answer it now, but the question is, was the grass freshly cut where you took the shot from? <laughs> we'll be right back. In the 1911 world, there's Nighthawk Custom, and then there's everyone else. Nighthawk Custom makes the highest in quality 1911, under the motto, One Gun, One Gunsmith. Each 1911 is handmade with each part fitted by one gunsmith from start to finish. Nighthawk Custom is giving away one of their custom 1911s every 90 days this year. All you need to do to register is visit www.nighthawkcustom.com forward slash gunfightercast and sign up. All right, welcome back. So when I read a book or watch a movie or anything that's a true story or something that's nonfiction, and I see little snippets, words that somebody chooses, or lines or sentences that they write, even though they have no context with what they're writing, I try to think of it, there may be some sub-story behind that, something that didn't make it into the book, something that uh, that we it just I, I, I have to think that there's a little bit more detail. So when I ask you the question, if the grass was freshly cut. Um, I asked you that because later on, toward the end of the book, you start talking about the psychological uh, toll that it took on you. Uh, and you suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder um, and, and having some other issues. And you mentioned something in there about sights and sounds at some point in some sentence somewhere. And you mentioned the smell of freshly cut grass. So that's why I asked you that question. Yep. Yep. You picked up on that. I didn't, wasn't sure if anybody would, but yet on a military base, the grass is always freshly cut. I don't know how often they, they do it, but it's, the lawns and shrubs are pretty well manicured. And that day that there was a freshly cut lawn that I was kneeling next to and all around the, the hospital campus there. And I, subconsciously, everything, every sight and sound that had to do with the uh, the shooting, and later on I helped search and clear the, the hospital, and there was a lot of evidence of trauma and violence there. And there'd be little things that later on, as I was beating myself up about not being able to save more lives, would trigger a, a memory, or a, not a not a hallucination, but a vision, just a, a visual image of the of the incident or the the wounded. And one of them, I think, was freshly cut grass. So I eventually was able to work through those issues. It took quite a while for me to even 
realize that I was bothered by it. And I wasn't bothered by taking the life of the killer, thankfully. That has never bothered me in the, in the least. But I was always upset that so many people lost their lives that day and was wondering if I could have done more to to stop it. And I had some some guilt that uh, was kind of subconscious at first, and it took me a while to realize that it was bothering me and had a lot of intrusive thoughts, memories of the incident. I was never bothered by having to kill the gunman. Thankfully, that, that never bothered me. But I was beating myself up for uh, not being able to save more lives that day. And that guilt that I had was subconscious at first, and it took me a while to realize that I was bothered by it, and then it took me a while after that to uh, realize how to work past it. But I eventually did. And there was a 20-year memorial for the hospital shooting that I was asked to speak at, and they asked me to speak about resiliency of the survivors. And in, it was in that speech where I said that I'm no longer bothered by the smell of a freshly cut grass on a hot summer day. That's it. Andy, that's another one of the lessons learned from this book. There was a, a little bit of negative negative stigma with your post-traumatic stress disorder that I, I think it should go away in a lot of different lines of work. I I'm diagnosed with with post-traumatic stress disorder. I I have memories and and I I see things in my mind's eye, if you will, of past events. Uh, I smell things. Uh, when I do smell things, I, I remember those things. There there are I hate the the misuse of the word, but triggers as as it is when it's used correctly, anyway. But I I don't go into some deep depression or anything else. I I choose to stay positive. Uh, and we're gonna talk about that here in a second because I I think that's the key. Because I got a lot of vets that, that listen to the show, and I, I'm quite active in the veteran community as well. And I, I'm tired of our brothers and sisters hurting themselves. And uh, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned here. And one of the things, and I, I'm kicking myself right now for not having the book with me because I, I had this one marked. But you began, I can tell by reading, you began to really research your condition and learn more about why that is, or why you you have uh, you know post traumatic stress disorder, or or how you were you were in, engaging with with some of these memories in, in a negative way. And you, I forget the exact line, but you were talking about the uh, fight or flight and subconscious. Uh, and how your body begins to react to them and have maybe that adrenaline dump because it had to do it at some other time when that same cue was available. I hope I gave you enough direction there, but can you expand on that a little bit? And that you, you did a very good job in one paragraph of describing post-traumatic stress disorder. And I believe that the more people who understand what that is, who suffer from it, may recognize that they, they have the issue and they can get help. But it also helps you just understanding why your body's reacting that way. Sure, absolutely. I pretty much had to learn about post-traumatic stress disorder because I wasn't getting the, the help that I needed from the military mental health at the time because every time I sought help, I was getting relieved of duty and couldn't carry my gun so I couldn't work as a cop anymore. So I would tell them that I don't need help and would get my gun back and go back to work. But it just the uh, symptoms continued to get progressively worse. And basically, the way I simplified the explanation of post-traumatic stress disorder is it's just a, a memory. Like if you are a young kid and you get burnt by a stove or bit by a dog, your brain packs those memories away of what it's 
what the environment was around that hot stove or what it's like to what an aggressive dog looks like and it tells you it files that memory away so if it ever sees a hot stove or an aggressive dog again it it works to protect you and it might dump adrenaline or release some other chemicals in your brain to make you and if you're not if you're not in actual danger it might make you anxious and nervous and irritable and same thing happens but only probably to a heightened degree when you're actually in a life-threatening incident where you're at risk of dying and your brain takes in all of the environmental conditions, sights and smells and files them away in an, in an effort to protect you. If you ever get in that situation again, it's going to warn you ahead of time. And sometimes those sights and smells are, are innocent and they're not going to hurt you and you're not in danger when you experience them, like the smell of freshly cut grass or a hot summer day. But still your brain recognizes it and is kind of miswired and dumps adrenaline and, and tells you you're in danger. And that's why you can be walking around and uh, you might even, it might even be a subconscious memory. So you might not even realize why you're constantly feeling anxious and irritable all the time. That's, that's uh, why you need to seek mental health help to try to get to the bottom of it. And it took me quite a while to, to find a counselor who recognized that and could work with me and, and take the time to try to pick apart what was bothering me and, and pick apart the incident detail by detail and, and try to find a, a correlation there and help me identify the what, what exactly was bothering me and, and get a handle on it and learn to breathe through those uh, ex- those incidents where I'm experiencing high anxiety and try to recognize why it's happening and and kind of try to reprogram my brain to teach it that although it's trying to help me, it's actually uh, a pain in the ass, so it needs to get rewired. Yeah, and you know, it, it's almost cliche, but the first step is, is recognizing it, right? Yeah, exactly. A few episodes ago, actually quite a few, I had my friend Byron Rogers. He's a, he's a professional security guy. There's some high level uh, personal security detail stuff, but he's also a motivational speaker and the guy just, he can't stop spewing really awesome, life-changing motivation. I love the guy to death. And I, I, I'm really big on staying positive. And uh, there's just so much negativity in this world. And I, my wife will be watching the news and I'll put on a headset and listen to an audio book because I, I just don't need it in my life. You know, I, yeah. I don't, I don't need this. Now. And you mentioned that and you talk quite I'm a bit about it in your book about how you chose to decide what goes in your brain. In, instead of letting somebody else decide what goes in your brain. And I think that is one of the most powerful things that we need in this world, in this nation, is people taking their... We talk about in my in Gunfighter Cast, taking responsibility for your own personal safety. We should also take responsibility for what we intake into our brains, into our minds, our wives and our kids' brains, our husbands, uh, our, our parents, if we have that influence. It's, it's such a powerful thing. One thing that Byron said, and I, he was so right about it, was and I, I recognize it when he said it, was when you're listening to one of those books or you're reading a book, something that's about really getting your mind right and doing things and, and staying positive and, and making good business decisions or whatever, when you're in one of those books in the middle of them and you get a little bit of that in the morning, your whole day changes. 
your whole day is positive because you got a positive influence there in the morning. You turn on the news and you see the horror and the evil and everything else. You're starting negative from the beginning. And call me a hippie if you want, but man, staying positive and feeding your mind with positive things that are actually going to help you grow and, and do better puts you in so much better of a place. Yeah, I'm with you. It, and we're not in denial. We know that there's crap out there and there's evil and there's sadness and but we just don't need to be constantly reminded of it nonstop. I didn't realize how bad of a hole I'd fallen into. It, that's what my wife used to call it. She used to refer to it as that I'm in my hole again because I was in such a negative mindset and I just kept feeding that negativity with more and more negativity and didn't wasn't even aware of it until I took a step back and and uh, just realized what it was doing to me. And as soon as I removed or started to remove that negativity from my life, it, I could see how much better it was and, and more beneficial to just my life, like you said, starting out on a positive note. It's, it's huge, man. It sounds silly, but it, it has changed my life. It, it really has. Yeah. So I, I, what I do for a living, research with Gunfighter Cast, with traveling, teaching, learning, the things that I need to stay current on, I, I have to subject myself to, to, to a lot of negative things. But I choose when to do that. I watch a lot of violence. I watch a lot of videos and try to learn from them. I research and read a lot of things. I, I read autopsy reports. Um, I, I read some, some pretty graphic things and it's pretty taxing on your mind. You know, I, I, I can usually go after it depending on my mood for a long period of time, but then I need to take a few days break and listen to some nonfiction or listen to some fiction or something or, or read a book that, that's fiction, you know, just to kind of enter a different world for a little bit. But I have to do it for to stay current on, on what I do professionally, but I, I don't, I decide when I'm getting that and I decide what I'm getting. I don't let somebody else to decide what's going into my mind and I, I that power belongs to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I understand. It was pretty um, painful at times researching for this book, and you have to take a break from it. That's for sure. But I got tired of people telling me what I needed to be pissed off about, and then being pissed off all day. And it's just <clears throat> it sets you up for a, a bad day because you're looking for things to be pissed off about instead of trying to see the good things around you. And if you do start looking for the good things, you'll see them. But like you said, you don't have to be a hippie or a flower child to live. I still, I know that there's still evil out there and there's still dirtbags out there and I need to be wary of them. And I'm, I carry every day and, and I'm always looking for them. And I'm aware of, of the possibilities of danger and looking for those clues. But at the same time, I, can see the the beautiful child or the little baby that's smiling or or the pretty women walking around or the trees just you don't have to live in a, a negative world and just just to be vigilant for evil and you don't have to constantly feed yourself with negativity to be aware of what's going on in the world around you that's right awesome andy where can where can the listeners find out more about you, uh, your book, and pick it up? It's um, available on Amazon. It's in print and ebook, and it's also at Barnes and Noble in print and on their Nook app. Um, you could order it 
from any bookstore that you want. If they don't already have it on their shelf, they can order it from their wholesaler. Pretty much anywhere fine books are sold, Daniel. Is <laughs> that's the typical one, right? Um, and I, 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 we didn't talk about this beforehand, so I'll, I'll cut it out if uh, if there's not a good answer for it. But uh, is there a way listeners of Gunfighter Cast could could get an autograph copy? Sure. If they don't think that it would depreciate the book value any, they could go to my website, which is FairchildHospitalShooting.com, and there should be links there on how to purchase the book in a variety of ways, including uh, a link for a author signed copy that would be mailed from from me to them and so we also have a facebook page for the book just warnings unheeded i will have links to the free listeners out there i'll have links to all of this in the show notes so you just hit the uh little button there and or you can go to gunfightercast.com and click all those links and and go pick up this book and and grab it and uh i it should be. It it needs to be the next book that you pick up. Uh, it'll 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 open your eyes to a lot of different things. Training. We only you know we just we just got into the tip of the iceberg in the last episode in this episode about all the lessons learned. Pick up the book and dissect it. I'm gonna read it again. I've I've got a a note app that comes with your iPhone that uh I've got a like a page and a half full of notes on it. I'm gonna go through and and read this again and take more notes about it or take more notes on it because uh, there was just so many things. There was so many times where I was just so into the book I didn't pull out my phone and take any notes about anything. And uh, it it really is a a, a twice read book without a doubt. Andy, I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to come talk to me and, and talk to the listeners of Gunfighter Cast. And uh, I hope your your book gets out there to everybody and. Uh, if you're a trainer or any, you work in a business, it really applies to everybody. It's a, it, it's something that needs to be on your shelf and, and give it a read. I'm so glad that you appreciate it and see the benefits of it, Daniel. And I, I'm glad you had me on the show so you can help me spread the word about it. Cause I do think that the lessons in the book will save lives. So very grateful. Uh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me on the show, Daniel. Gunfighter cast out. Bravo Concealment Holsters is a Texas-based high-quality holster manufacturer that I trust to conceal my defensive handguns. Bravo Concealment offers a 100% money-back guarantee and an unlimited lifetime warranty. Go check out the new Torsion technology at bravoconcealment.com and use our coupon code GUNFIGHTER at checkout for 10% off your entire purchase. Guys, thank you for listening to Gunfighter Cast. I hope you guys pick up Andy's book, Warnings Unheeded, and you get as much out of it as I did. If you are one of those who has been involved with violence uh, in a law enforcement capacity, civilian or military, and you're suffering from some of the symptoms that we discussed here, reach out to somebody and find some help. You're welcome to hit me up at danielshaw0369 at gmail.com at any time. And if you're having a hard time, I'd be happy to give you my phone number. We can call, text, whatever. Um, I volunteer for a couple of service uh, organizations that, that help out my brothers and sisters from the military, and but I'd be happy to relate and uh, give some of my experiences and, and help anybody out there that's battling with some of the same things that Andy discussed because they're, they can go away. You can get help. You just got to reach out to somebody and get the help, and um, I hope you do. And uh, if I can help you, great. If not, I can point you to somewhere who can. Thanks for listening. Podcast out. so much.
much for being a part of Gunfighter Cast and a listener of the show. If you feel that you get something out of Gunfighter Cast and you enjoy the show, why not pledge a dollar or two dollars through our Patreon site? Basically, you pledge one or two bucks an episode when uh, some content is released at the end of that month your car will get charged. Pretty simple and easy way to support the show when you're getting content. If not, all good. You're going to keep getting them for free. Thanks again for listening and being a part of the show. Gunfighter Cast out.